A very warm welcome to this Grange Festival podcast exploring Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. I'm Jack Pepper. I'm a 19-year-old composer and a presenter on Scala Radio. And for the Grange Festival's 2019 productions of The Marriage of Figaro, Falstaff and Belshazzar, I'm going to be sitting down with a couple of key figures from each production to talk about the music, the lives behind it and the work that's been going on behind the scenes at the Grange Festival. Today it's the turn of Mozart's Marriage of Figaro and back in May during rehearsals I was privileged to sit down with Martin Lloyd Evans, the director and Tom Primrose, assistant conductor for tonight's production. Figaro is often described as the most perfect opera. So Martin and Tom, do you agree? I think it's a really unhelpful way to go thinking about an opera is to try and put it on some ladder of um, brilliance or not brilliance. It's an incredibly effective piece of music theatre. It has tests over 200 plus years. It has shown that it can move audiences in different generations, in different times, in different locations, in all sorts of different ways. It stood the test of time. Tom, how about you? I think it's interesting that, um, that quote, if you like, about it being perfect is one which is almost contemporary. Um, there's a number of uh, people who heard it for the first time in Vienna when it was first performed said this. Uh, Haydn held it in this near-perfect esteem. But what's interesting is, one has to, I agree with Martin, that one has to be careful that if you label something with the label perfect, it can become very static and it, become, it can become something that you're striving for, something that's been done before. And it, makes it, it doesn't give it the plasticity of a, of a living piece of art. Well, let, let's go back to square one for a second and just look at the, the sort of the outline of the plot. Uh, what are the headlines of the plot? Who should we be looking out for? What are the main events in a nutshell, if we can? Figaro in a nutshell. <laughs> big that's, challenge. That's a, it's a big nut. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, part of the... I mean, I say that advisedly because part of the pleasure of Figaro is the amount of twists and turns of story that there are. Interesting enough, I mean, the Italian title, Le Nozze di Figaro, is, has been translated historically in English as The Marriage of Figaro. And, of course, it's wrong. It's not The Marriage of Figaro. It's Figaro's wedding. The marriage is the 20 or 30 years of pain that follows the wedding. But the opera is actually about the wedding. It's all about one day. The alternative title is La Folle Journée, the, the crazy day. So at the heart of it is the wedding of two servants, Nothing more fancy than that. Figaro, who's the top manservant to the cat, and Susanna, his uh, bride-to-be. This would all be lovely. It's out in the Count's um, estate, somewhere outside Seville in Andalusia. And this would all be lovely were it not for the fact that the Count, who we know has wandering hands, is desperate to get those on Susanna. And he has a, 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 a rather nasty little plot to, um, as he accepts his job to go and be ambassador in London to take Susanna as, he, um, as a, a sort of, what would we call it, a, a personal help. This sets up the problem. Figaro hasn't heard about this until the very beginning of the opera. And then when he hears about it from Susanna, Figaro then plots to try to foil the cat's attempts to, to bed his wife, basically, on the night of her wedding. That sets in motion a whole sequence of problems for Figaro and Susanna that the Count tries to outwit and manoeuvre around. And then the next layer is added when we meet the Countess, who we see as a profoundly unhappy woman. And she becomes involved in a slightly crazy plan to uh, create an assignation between Susanna and the Count, but then to substitute 
this poor young lad, Carabino, who's a sort of um, love-struck teenager, really. And the idea is they're going to get him involved so that he doesn't get sent off to the army, which is what the Count wants to do with him. But it's about how, as the piece goes on, eventually Figaro and Susanna manage to sort out their own wedding and then look forward to the marriage. And the piece slowly then becomes more and more about the relationship between the Count and the Countess and how they are going to resolve their marital problems. Do you see there being potentially some deeper meaning to the fact that he's exploring at the time of, just before the French Revolution, just before the time that this whole system was questioned on the, the sort of the most ultimate scale imaginable, and from a man who was, you know, pushing the boundaries as a sort of one of the first freelancers, and, you know, he, he didn't seem that happy, I think mm. it's fair to say, about sometimes having to eat with the chefs and the valets. Do you sometimes read a deeper meaning into Figaro, potentially. The original um, uh, Le Mariage de Figaro that the Be- Beaumarchais wrote famously, when it opened, it was very popular, and the aristocracy would go and visit it because they'd heard it was so great, and they'd sit in the boxes laughing along, not understanding that the, the other 90% of the audience were laughing at the people in the boxes because what was happening on stage was, was not only poking fun at them, but was saying, we know what you do. We suffer from how you treat us, and we're not going to stand for it much longer. And unquestionably, that energy is something that attracted both De Ponte and Mozart to the piece. Was it, was an, it is an anti-establishment piece. There's, um, in Act 3, um, Echo de Marcia, Figaro says, there's this major point of tension between Figaro and the Count. They come to absolute blows, the two of them, servant and master, eyeball to eyeball, trying to stare each other out. And that, exactly at that moment, we hear this distant march. And it's this distant march that brings on the peasants. And this march, it's slowly over a minute and a half, two minutes, builds, 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 builds. And lock, locked up in this piece of music, it seems it's just, it's just a wedding march. But what's locked up in it is fundamentally the storming of the Bastille. And what you hear coming is the French Revolution. This was in the Beaumarchais. Mozart and de Ponte diluted it to make it a little bit more acceptable, but they damn well knew it was there. And that anti-establishment energy runs right through the piece. And if you want, you know, currency in a piece, we haven't done this with the production, but there is a hashtag MeToo version of Le Nozze di Figaro, which would be totally honest to the original. The thing that really affected me today in the rehearsal, the beginning of Act 4, which is Barbarina. Barbarina in the Beaumarchais is, I think, meant to be... 14? 12. 12. And, the, uh, and we're given the spectacle earlier of her having uh, had some kind of, I was going to use the word triste, but it's not a triste, it's something much more unsettling with the Count 
who's deflowered her. The, uh, at the beginning we have Lope Duta, um, and there's no doubt, you know, sitting listening to an aria which is meant to be about a pin that goes, I have lost it, I have lost it, I have lost it. Um, it we, it's very clear what this is about. start with you Martin because looking at your background you first studied physics correct at university yes so nothing to do with opera at all you, you then went to theatre arts and you studied theatre arts but where did your love of opera begin what what formed that passion for you my girlfriend's brother was an opera director and I had nothing to do I was working in theatre I didn't particularly like opera I had no opera in my youth at all uh, I think first time I went to opera I was about 19 or 20 years old and I went and I said, can I come and watch some rehearsals? He said, yeah, yeah, come on. So I just sat watching some rehearsals, and I sat there watching it, and, I, and in my head I went, yeah, I knew this was rubbish. I knew this was nonsense. And I sat there going, it completely conformed to my expectations, except for one singer, one tenor who's there. And I was going, it, he sort of, it sort of irritated me. Because I was going, yeah, but when you start singing, it sort of makes me feel a bit weird. And I don't like, I feel a bit un- discomforted by this. And what I realised was this particular singer, he moves me. And then, and I started. So then, I started asking myself questions. So, what's he doing that the others aren't? And it was just a question that got under my skin. How do you start as a director? You know, how how do you get into being a director for something like an opera? It's uh, it's it's tough, and and everyone has to sort of forge their own path. You have to the, the wheel has to be reinvented. Everyone has to find their own way forward. Um, one might think student production is a good way in, which they can be at a certain level. But I mean, I have a role at the Guildhall School. And we won't use really young directors for our productions because the students we're working with are quite advanced. And we go, no, we need somebody who can, do, who can just do a show whilst help teaching our kids. Now, if someone's too young, they've got way too much to prove and they don't have the ability to, do, to deliver both those things. So interestingly enough, at a conservatoire level, it's, it's not quite such an easy uh, way to get in. I mean, most people go through, uh, you work as an you somehow, you con somebody that, that, <laughs> that you can work as an assistant director. When you're, when you're directing, what people perhaps don't realise, as a director when you're in a rehearsal room, you're incredibly vulnerable. We're often painted as the sort of beer moths of, of self-determined clarity and bossiness. These things, this really tough life, particularly if you have an international career, it's a nightmare. You're living up from hotel to hotel, desperately trying to find time to be home. And if you're directing well, you're doing all those things, you are, whilst at the same time, trying to deliver a version of the piece that nobody else in the room knows. You're the only one who knows that story. And to do that well, you have to be vulnerable. So for the, those weeks of, of rehearsal, I'm effectively performing. Who's the boss in an opera house and in a production? The bottom line is... The house, the producing company, has power of veto over what goes on. They can pull the show if they want. So do you have to pitch your idea to the festival? Not. The um, uh, don't pitch the idea until after I've been employed. So actually you're often getting a role in an opera based on your previous productions in your CV, not on precisely what you're saying you're going to bring to this next production. 
nearly always, and, that, and this is again is the part of the, the freelance lifestyle that people like me lead, is the sort of you're only as good as your last show, where it's your last three or four shows, but, but a, there's, there's a sort of a reputation energy starts to hang around you after a while, like a slightly bad smell. Uh, <laughs> and it's very difficult to change what that smell is after a, uh, after a while. remember with all these pieces that look Mozart, oh Mozart, great high culture, but when he wrote it, it wasn't high culture. No. He was just writing the line of duty of its day, <laughs> yeah, or, or uh, killing Eve. That's what he was doing. Yeah. And you can bet your life, if he was alive now, he'd be doing film composition, because that's where the fun is. And so what happens is, of course, doing these, these productions, this was the new energy coming through, so it was vital and contemporary and alive. been listening to this Grange Festival podcast exploring Mozart's Marriage of Figaro with Martin Lloyd Evans, the director, Tom Primrose, assistant conductor, and me, Jack Pepper. Thanks very much for joining us. The 2019 festival opens on Thursday 6th of June with The Marriage of Figaro and it will end on Saturday 6th of July with Belshazzar. The final Figaro is Sunday 30th of June. Thank you very much for joining us and we really hope you enjoyed the performance.